Good morning. I, I've, I'm very nervous this morning, and often that means good things, but it makes it much harder for me to preach. Oh, Lord. But as I was worshipping, God put this verse on my heart in Deuteronomy 32. It says, How could one have chased a thousand, and two have put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them? And the Lord had given them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison and their clusters are bitter. And I was just praying and asking God, Lord, is, what have you got for us in this time? Obviously, we, those of you who would have braved the lines yesterday or the, or the time before, and obviously, if you've got a Facebook page, which I'm sure most of you have, you would have seen the, the myriads, to use biblical terms, of political um, experts out there telling us what is and isn't true. And I just was praying this morning and saying, Lord, there is such nonsense going on in our world right now. And how is it that we're to win and I was just reminded this morning during worship that we have already won. God is saying that our rock is different to the rock in which the world places their trust, their faith. Right? Jesus said, we will build, I will build my church on, on Peter, right? the little rock, Petra, but him is the cornerstone. And this verse is saying that it doesn't need to be thousands of us. Oftentimes in Scripture, God's team look out, looked outnumbered. If you remember Gideon, he goes into the wall, preps at the, at, the, at the water side, already outnumbered. And God says, make them bend down and drink. And I'm going to send half of your army away. We look outnumbered, always. As followers of Christ, we look outnumbered. That verse I read this morning during worship, it doesn't say if you go through the valley of the shadow of death. It says when you go. We will all spend time in the valley of the shadow of death. But the rock in which we place our life is greater than that in which the world does. We have to understand that. Understand it. We have to understand that in this time. Right? That as we enter, and I'm going to continue on from what Sean left off last week on making good choices, but we have to remember that the thousand that God is putting us to flight, what we are right here, the, the strong ones who braved the rain, can put thousands to flight. Right? We, can, we can push back the gates of hell in such a way that we don't even begin to understand that what we are right now in, in, in smallness, if we understand the power on which God has given us, can push back all of those things. So I just, I, I just, maybe it was just me that felt like in the last two days we've been outnumbered or, or outgunned, but God is saying, no, it, it doesn't matter because the rock in which you've built will not fall. So, Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and I ask that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Grow us, Lord. Change the way we see the world, God. Change the way we see the mountains in front of us. God, remind us that in you, our faith in you can move those things that stand before us. And, Lord, I just ask, God, that you would continue to lead us and guide us. Give us the strength and courage to make God choices. Give us the strength and courage to lead your way, Lord. 
Father, I pray this morning, anything that I say that's not of you, may it fall away. But the things you want to build here this morning, may they plant deep in our heart, Lord, and may this be a time of change. God, may we be able to apply your word to our life and see a change made. God, may this not just be another Sunday or another club. Lord, may this be the start of a brand new day in you. May this be the beginning, Lord, of the time where we stood and pushed back the gates of hell, pushed back the kingdom of darkness to reveal your goodness and your kindness. We love you and we honor you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Shani spoke last week, if you were here, he, he spoke amazingly on, on choices, that as people we get to make choices. He put three before us, the choice to do the wrong thing, the choice to do nothing, and the choice to do the right thing. And I, I was encouraged while I was sitting there listening and God was just downloading so much to me while I was, I was listening and, and I, I want to take on from where he left us because two of those areas, the choice to do the wrong thing and the choice to do nothing, can lead us into pain and suffering, can lead us and the people around us into more hurt and disempower who we are in God. But I want to add one more because I think as well the choice to do the right thing can be really challenging to work out. What is right and wrong? What is our standard for morality? What is the line in which we draw to decide one side's God and the other side's not? And how do we manage that? Because what's right for me may not be right for Timmy. And what's wrong for Timmy may not be wrong for me. We see this all the way through the Christian life. That's why we have so many denominations and ways of doing things. Because what's right for one is not right for another. So we find this line in the sand, this, this uh, decision of morality between good and evil. But the problem is, is it's in us. And we get to decide. There's things that I might do, things that Sean might do, and we will differ. Rather than talking with each other and allowing it to strengthen our walk, we've decided to pull apart from each other and create different factions and different sects that, that, that rule and dominate the way people see Christianity. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. But this changes from time to time. So I want to add one more to Sean's list of three, and that is the choice to do the God thing. Right, what God is revealing in us. I, it was a bit cheesy. I almost went away from it, but I figured we got to go with it, right? We got to go with a bit of cheese from time to time because the, 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 the choice to do the God thing is what we wrestle with as Christians every day of our walk. And I, it reminded me of a, a great poem by, by a man named Amos Wells. And the poem goes like this Where does the clerk of the weather store the days that are sunny and fair? In your heart is a room with a closed shut door and all of those days are there. Where does the clerk of the weather keep the days that are dreary and blue? In a second room in your heart they sleep and you have the keys of the two. And why are my days so often I pray filled with clouds and of gloom? Because you go at the break of day and open the heart wrong room. What he's saying is that in our heart, which he's speaking of, in my summation of, a spirit, of our spirit man, is that there's two rooms that we can draw from. The one that he explains is dreary and cloudy and the other, which is sunny and, and delightful, if you will. And that's all that we see through scripture, that there's two kingdoms that operate within, within the realm that, that God has asked us to move in, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And every day we decide in and of ourselves which power we're going to draw from. In a decision-making process, we decide, do I operate from the kingdom of darkness or do I operate from the kingdom of light? And all through the scriptures, we are looking for the difference between light and darkness. I remember as a kid in youth group, 
We wanted to know clearly where the line was. We wanted to go as close to that line as possible without crossing it. And we wanted to know about everything. How much can I drink if I can drink? How much, what kind of, what, what movie can I watch? PG or can I go into an M? Because we want to know these things so we get close to the line. And I was thinking it through, I, remember, I actually remember a conversation that Timmy and I had back when we would have been very young back in the den and we were discussing this very thing, how far can we go that's just on the line but not crossing it. But the problem in that is that we have left God out of that conversation. We've actually failed to say, Lord, what's the line for me? Not what's the line for everybody. God, what are you telling me? What is good for me and what is not good for me? And the reason that this is so interesting is because of one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, go to Mark 10 with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and he knelt before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, but teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Right here, we see the rich young man. He did what Sean asked us to do last week. Of the, the list of things to tick, he ticked all the boxes. He was the goodest boy that ever good, right? He filled all of the commandments that he was asked to do from his youth. He said, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full. He would have had to turn away some of the fun things that his friends would have done to keep the commandments. He wouldn't have eaten certain things. He would have stayed in this place where I've made all the right choices. God, in your eyes, I'm the one. I'm the good boy. And yet Jesus says to him, you've forgotten one thing. Now you have to understand, Jesus didn't ask this of anyone else. He didn't ask it of Matthew, the tax collector. He would have had lots of money. He would have had enough money to, to do whatever he wanted. He would have had lots of coin and property. Obviously after this, but he didn't ask it of Paul when Paul came to Jesus. He was a, he was a, a, a Pharisee, a scribe. He would have come from wealth. He would have had lots of money as well. Jesus didn't ask it of him. So here we have this man who said... Jesus, I want, I'm searching for the kingdom. What must I do? And Jesus says, follow my rules. He says, I've done that. He says, then here's one I haven't told you before. That young man must have been thinking, hey, Jesus, I, I tried. I didn't know that rule existed. I didn't know I wasn't to have wealth. But it wasn't the wealth he was talking about. It was what was in the man's heart that Jesus was challenging. See, there's things in my life that I have made rules for myself that I wouldn't make rules for you. Why? Because Jesus has challenged me on them. And it plays at a weakness that I have. It plays at something that I need to get out of my life. 
One of those rules being I don't have Facebook and Instagram on my phone. Now, I'm not going to make that a sweeping rule and say you should do that. But for me, God was challenging me in something. So much so that I, I heard God say to remove it from my phone. And I was in a, a church service. I was there actually when Jess and I had just met. And I, I went along to the church she was going to. And like, like the man stood up and pointed me out in the room, he said, point blank, if you've got Instagram on your phone, you shouldn't have it. You must take it off. He, I didn't know the man. Right? He called me out. He didn't. God did. Now, that's not a rule that I would make for any, everybody, but God was talking to me about something specific, as was Jesus talking to this rich young man. He said, your heart is founded in the money. Go and get rid of it. And the best thing about this verse, the reason I love it so much, is that that's a challenge brought by Jesus, the one in which it says that he loved the rich young man, yet he walks away disheartened. We live in a world today where we think every time God speaks, I'm going to be uplifted and excited about what he has to say. But right here, we see that God will bring a challenge to your life that is hard to swallow sometimes. That sometimes we say, Lord, speak, speak to me. I need to hear. God, I got to see what you're doing. And then he speaks and we go, oh, Lord, speak again with something a little bit different. Give me another way out, Lord. Oh, God's not speaking to me. No, he already spoke to you. He already revealed the way out of your mess, but you won't listen. See, when the rich young man walked away disheartened, I always love when people say, yeah, but Jesus goes after the one, not this one. He didn't go after the rich young man. He gave him everything he had. He put his hand out. He said, you want this? Here it is. That going after the one is speaking about salvation. He will put the saved in a, in a place in which they can feast and eat in the field of which the sheep were, and he will go after the one who's lost. But when we come into the kingdom and we decide, Lord, I'm walking away from you, Jesus says, it's up to you, my son, my daughter. Why? Because in order to have love, we have to have free will. I give you the choice to decide to go and change your heart and change your life or to stay in your mess up to you. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. He was the right thing. He made all the right choices. He made all the right things. He had done it from the very beginning, yet Jesus says, there's one thing you've missed, my boy. There's one thing you've lost. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24, Paul says something that is challenging to us, but it helps explain what I think is happening with the rich young man. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, when we get to the place where we are operating with inside the rules and we, we make the rules their own little thing that we have to follow, we start acting out of pride and insecurity. We start acting like we're the good boy. We did the right thing. Yeah, but your neighbor is suffering. I saw this thing once where it said, the only reason you should look over at your neighbor's plate is to make sure he has enough. But we keep looking over to make sure he's got the same as us. We get upset when someone around us succeeds more than we do. But Jesus is saying, let all these things be helpful unto each other. We get to the place where all things are lawful. You'd be amazed how many conversations I've been into where someone says, do you think God is allowing us to do this? And I go back to this scripture. Well, the Bible says 
that it is lawful in the new covenant. But you have to ask yourself, is it helpful to my life and to those around me? Where does the help come from? The Lord, right? The the Lord reveals the help in which we walk out. So Ben, is, is drinking alcohol unlawful? No, but you have to ask yourself honestly, without lying to yourself, is it helping me or is it hindering me? Ben, is going over that person's place that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to create a relationship, is it, is it unlawful? No, but you have to ask yourself honestly, is it helping you and is it helping those around you? And we can keep doing this on and on and on and on we go. But you know, the challenge with it is, is that oftentimes we lie to ourselves. Oftentimes we tell ourselves it's a good choice. Think about how many times you've purchased something that's a little bit expensive. And you've, you're in the shop and you are, if you've got a partner, you're convincing your partner it's a good buy. I've done this in Audi with Jess more times than I care to count. Babe, this is going to be good. Trust me, this thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save a day. And then we take it home only to realize... I was lying to myself. I knew we didn't need 65 kilos of rice to get us through. I knew we didn't need a boat washer when we don't have a boat. You all know that this happens to us regularly. Do you know what that is? You lied to yourself. You lied to yourself. It was okay for me to have one more drink. It was okay for me to drive home. It was okay for me to go and see that person when I knew I shouldn't have. Look how many leaders in our Christian faith right now, charismatic or not, who said it was okay. I wasn't really infatuated with that person. I wasn't really needing medication. I wasn't really, I wasn't really. You were lying to yourself again and again and again. And the choice that you kept making was bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. I've said this a few times before, but every time I hear that someone has, has cheated on their partner and they say the, the same thing, every counseling session that I've been in, they say the same thing, I stuffed up. No, no, you didn't stuff up once. You stuffed up probably 60 times in the lead up to your one big stuff up. But it started way back here where you lied to yourself. It started way back here where you made a compromise on the kingdom and a compromise on the kingdom and a compromise and a compromise and a compromise until I got to the place where I made a decision I wish I could take back. But you got lost all the way back there. If we can become a people who really says, Jesus, what are you saying to me in this moment right now? But Ben, are you saying it with everything? With everything. Imagine you didn't make a decision in your life that God didn't give you the okay from. Is that an idyllic picture? Yeah, it is. But man, I wish we could be there, myself included. We'd have a lot less road rage. We've had a lot less broken marriages. When we hold that thought captive, do I yell at this guy who cut me off? It seems we always bring road rage. It seems like there's a bit of a, something with a theme in road rage. 
right? Whatever it is, if we can bring our thoughts captive, or if we can hold them before God and say, Lord, I know that this is lawful according to Scripture, but is it going to benefit my life? See, we've got to stop seeing God as an angry father who wants to punish us if we step out of line and start seeing him as a father who's saying, son, please come away from the road. You're going to get hit by a car. Come back into the field. Come back inside. Don't go and sleep with that person. Don't go and do those drugs. Don't. Why? Because you're going to get hit by a car. And later, I can see in in two months, two years, six months, six years down the track, you're going to say, I wish I didn't do those things. God is not asking you to fulfill his list of commandments. He's not asking you to be a good boy or a good girl. He's asking you to listen to his voice and do exactly as he says. He's saying, I know your life. Why? Because I designed it beginning from end. If you heed me, if you listen to me, if you incline your ear, I will lead you and guide you the way in which you're supposed to go. But Jesus, how do I inherit the kingdom? By listening to me. Go and sell all that you have. Yeah, but it's a lot. I know. Yeah, but it's going to be hard to get back. I know. But it took me a long time to get it. I know. But I promise you, I've seen the end. As I've seen your beginning. Listen to me. Listen to me. When we ground our choices in in the things of the kingdom, the things of the world, it doesn't matter with the good choices or bad choices to the people around us. I've had people tell me that it's insane what Jess and I are doing in leading this house. It makes no sense. You could have taken your dream job twice last year. I got offered the job that I, I went to uni for. And, I, and, and every time I went to God, I said, Lord, I want this. I want to take this job. And God said, no. That's insane, but it doesn't matter that it's insane to everybody else because I know God asked me to do it. And at the end of the day, when people have said it's insane and I looked at him and say, Lord, I hope I did what you asked me to do. The rich young ruler, it would have been insanity for him to give away his money. It would have made no sense. Yet Jesus said, don't worry what they think of you. Worry what I think of you. Worry where I've called you. Worry what I've led you to. Because there's something else calling you. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5 says this. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, which we're in now, the times after Christ, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be re- uh, received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. For if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. There will be a generation who will devote themselves to, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Right now, in the time that we are in, there is a lot of this going on. The moment we shift our focus from the kingdom of God, the thing God is asking, onto something else, we get lost in the teachings and leadings of demons. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. He calls them, Timothy calls them, sorry, Paul writing to Timothy, calls them doctrines of the demonic. Doctrines of the world of this age, the evil ones to come. That's why I'm saying there's two keys in our heart. There's two places we draw from. One is from the kingdom of heaven and the doctrines of faith and glory of God. And the other 
is from the kingdom of darkness and the doctrines or leadings and teachings of the demonic. That doesn't have to be a dark room with a pentagram on the floor and candles and, and those things we see where we go, oh, that's the demonic. No, the demonic is operating outside of the will and, and, and faith of the Father. It's not always low lit like we see in the movies, but it's the opposite of the kingdom of God. It can be small, it can be little, it can be unbeknownst to us, yet Jesus says that when we follow him, we are led by his kingdom, right? That's why it says the disciples will know them, we will know that they're disciples by the way that they what? Love, why? Because it's from his kingdom. They're being led by his kingdom. My people will be led and, and, and put forward by his kingdom, the powerful thing, though, and I'm going to finish in a minute, the powerful thing on this is that God has given us choices and it's our choices that redeem us into him. You are not lost and gone. You haven't come too far. You haven't made too many wrong choices that it's now too far back for me to go. The powerful thing with Jesus and the redemptive nature in which he comes is he says, you've never stepped too far away. Come back to me and you'll be back on my path. Come back and lead and operate and walk with me and all that's been done is forgiven and we can change. But that doesn't mean we don't have to keep outworking the nonsense we've lived from, the memory of our past. We have to start to break that. But the redemption of our choices is that we're not too far gone. I want to take you back to the rich young man he goes away sorrowful. He goes away where it seems like, and I've always read it like, he's done. He lost. He missed out. He went too far. God didn't give him enough of a chance. But if you've still got your Bible, flip forward to Mark 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. It says this, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bore a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that he had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. There was a man, Joseph of Arimathea. He came and he said, Jesus doesn't have a tomb. I'm going to buy him a tomb. I'm going to give him my tomb, right? He would have been a wealthy man because only the wealthy had the object to have tombs like that. If you were not wealthy, you were, if buried, buried in a very common place. But to have a tomb like the one that Jesus was given was from a man of wealth, Joseph of Arimathea. Turn over four books to Acts, four-ish books, to Acts chapter four, verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they have every, had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to put it to you this morning that that man, the rich young man who went to Jesus and he said, how do I inherit the kingdom? And Jesus said, go and sell all that you have and bring it before us and follow me. I want to put it to you that that man went away and he spent time. He said, God, how do I do that? And he came back empowered that God had shown him what to do. And when he came back, Jesus was already crucified. So he gave him his tomb. He wrapped him in a linen shroud and he went to find those who knew who he was and he came before the disciples and he said, I want to sell all that I have. I want to follow what Jesus asked me to do. I want to hear your call and I want to ensure that the kingdom of God is forwarded in this nation that I'm in. See, when Jesus gave him a choice, he got to decide what he did with it. Jesus said, you want redemption into my kingdom. You want redemption to live a life like me, Joseph, rich young man, Go away and sell all that you have. See, sometimes when God gives us a challenge that is hard to hear, that is upsetting, that is is not quite what we thought it was, we have to go away and process it through the eyes of the kingdom. Lord, what do you want from me in this? I like to think that when 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 Barnabas, Joseph, the rich young man, I think they're one and the same, when he went away and he asked of God, Lord, let me go and do as you've pleased. The Lord said to him, I've already told you what to do. God, give me another word. Lead me again to your kingdom. I've already led you. Go and sell all that you have. And you know, it wouldn't have made much sense because I I imagine just like we see today in the church that there wouldn't have been many who had much who sold everything. But when Joseph of, of Arimathea came in, when Barnabas came and he sold everything, a wealthy man backed and funded the very beginning of the early church spreading out into all the globe. He was backed by one man who had a choice. One man who Jesus said, up to you, my boy, stay or go. And I want to ask you this morning, what is God asking of you? What is your moment? What has God said? I have something for you. Yeah, I don't like it though, but that's all I've got. Why is God being silent with me? Because chances are he's already told you what to do. Chances are he's already revealed the kingdom and the way out. Chances are is that he's given you something that you don't want to carry because it's too harsh. It's too hard. I have to lay too much down. He asked the, the rich young man to lay down everything. So this morning, I want to ask you whether you do it right now when we go and pray in a minute or whether you do it when you're at home tonight or whether you've already done it and God is already pulling on your heart to say, you don't need to ask me again. I've already told you what it is. I want to ask you to be faithful this morning. Faithful is not hoping that God is going to give me the best outcome. As Hebrews says, faithful is hoping to the unknown that he will do as he needs to do. Sometimes that means you get the red Ferrari. Sometimes that means you've got to keep waiting. Sometimes that means that the, the storm will ease. Sometimes it's a little bit more um, patterns to batch down. Patterns to batch down. 
hatches to batten down. See, we want the storm to ease and God says, here's a raincoat. But Lord, that's not what I wanted. I know. But here's a raincoat. We think faith is that God's just going to change it into our favor. What if that means that God says, Lord, you said you're going to intercede in the, the political victory for Australia. Here's a raincoat. But Lord, you said that we weren't going to go to Babylon. Here's, here's a way to get through. Whatever the storm is, whatever the thing is that you're asking for, faith is that God would be in the midst, not that your outcome would be brought forward. Faith is that God would see you through the storm, not that you would have the magic bullet that just shoots it all away. Our faith is that God is with us and we know that he's there and we can feel and stand by him in that moment. So why don't you stand? Before I pray, I'm going to just give us a moment to for you to come before God. The reason that we like to do this and, and just to give a, a, a space of silence is that it so rarely happens in our Monday to, to, to Saturday life. It's so rare that we sit in silence and ponder the things of God. So I want to ask that you would stop lying to yourself, one, and two, ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me in this time? What are you revealing to me? Lord, what have you put before me to go away and to do to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done? Just take, take a moment. Father, I ask right now, God, that whatever it is that's churning around in our minds, Father, in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that we would learn to lean on you, that we would learn to ask of you, that we would learn to heed your voice in the midst of whatever it is, Father, be it a, a struggle, Father, or a triumph, Lord, that we would heed your word. Father, that we would stand on the rock that you said you are, Jesus, that we would learn to be led by you, the cornerstone. God, I ask this morning that this wouldn't just be another worship service, another sermon, but Lord, that this would be a time for us to evaluate ourselves, not to appease you, Lord, not to, to try and, and be better in your eyes because we know that we can't be in, in a sense that you love us with all that you are, God, but that you are calling us to, to deeper things, to bigger things, that you are calling us as a people to more in and of your kingdom, Lord. And I ask, God, that we would have the courage and the strength to stand in your kingdom.
Lord, I pray this morning that anything that I've said that's not of you wouldn't fall away to nothing. But God, the things that you've wanted to say to us, may they, may they root deep in our heart and may they challenge us and change us, Father. Lord, may we be like the rich young ruler. May we go away with the challenge you've laid before us. But Father, may we be encouraged to change. May we be encouraged to more. Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great worthy one. Lord, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. God, we just declare who you are in this place, that we are sons and daughters, but we are servants as well of you, the great King. God, we just declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city. We declare your kingship in this nation. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one we worship. And God, I thank you for the privilege to be able to come before you again and again. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Yes. What Ben's been talking about for the last few weeks. And as someone who works full time, I always wonder how do I actually make this be a tangible thing? And he pressed on my heart that the hardest thing you have to do is just yield to him and give it over. Um, and I have a business coach uh, who's a very wealthy man who I was sitting down with coffee and he told me that he had a heart murmur and he's a very active person who loves to run and he's been told he can't do that. And I sat down and at the end of this thing, my heart is like pounding, like I'm so scared. But I heard the Lord say, like, just let me speak and the hardest thing was literally in my head to just go just give it to him so at the end of that coffee I said can I pray for you and he received it with utter delight that I purely, like I didn't expect him to even enjoy the prayer um, and he was so honored he said thank you so much for thinking of me and doing that it's meant more than you could know I walked away and I called Ben I was like babe, you never guess what I did. Like, and it was the joy that I had let Jesus into my life at that moment in those small little things. Like it's so tangible if you stop thinking it's got to be this big thing. It's in those small everyday moments that we actually make these choices to be able to let Jesus in and affect the people around us. I spoke to my boss who also meets with him and he went and got his heart checked up and got told that whatever was there before is not there anymore. Um, so, praise Jesus. Glory to God. We should do the series. We just done a series, Ben and I, making choices, and it was awesome. Um, and we have to practice what we preach. I just want to share something. I just felt God encouraged me to share this. I, my wife and I, and, um, you know, the people who own this building, we've, we've been in a challenging time and, and we have to make these decisions. So when Ben, as soon as he started and said, I'm going to speak on making the God choice, my heart just leapt because Coco and I were offered um, a pretty amazing opportunity, okay, which would include like a house, a business, finance for it. Like on the outside, it just looks like the most amazing thing. And we had one more meeting this week to finalize that deal. Basically, two millionaires who are going to say, yep, we'll, we'll be right there for you. Before that hope happened, Coco came into my office and we just prayed. We said, God, 
Let me let us be like Solomon who prayed for wisdom before riches. And I want you to speak to me so clearly in this meeting. So we went and I sat in this meeting and um, we were going back and forth. And they're like, Sean, do you want to pull the trigger on this? You know, do we want to go forward with this opportunity? And, and God just so clearly, clearly said to me, no, that there's a better way. And I actually put it back on these investors. I said, so if you were my age and you were in my position, would you make this call? And they both said, no, we wouldn't. And they said to me, they said, we're only here because we thought that's what you wanted to do. What do you want to do? And I told him what I wanted to do. I started sharing my vision about what, you know, what God wants to do. And he said, well, you're going to need 100% of your time to do that. We want to bless you to, do, to be 100% on, on what your vision is, to serve the charity, to serve this church, and to, and to run a business in that manner is not the way to do it. So I turned down potentially you know, over, over a million dollars, this, this thing that these guys are going to help me with. And that's, that, like Ben said, by world standards, that's insanity. But that's why it's so important that we, that we practice this stuff, that we're faithful in the small decisions, that we're saying no to the small compromises, because I needed God to make that big decision. That would have taken me and my wife out for the next five, ten years. You know what I mean? And it was just him saying, hang on, my boy. Hold your horses I've got something better for you. I'm hoping it's better than a million dollars worth. But, <laughs> but that's, that's the important thing. And I actually walked out not feeling sad. I felt lifted. I felt the burden has gone to make that decision. I want to make God's choice. Amen.